When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 64, Lee Houghton, host of the Business Problem Solved podcast. If you come into where I work and tell me how to do my job better, I would tell you to go away or words to that effect. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, video, links, and more, go to markgraven.com slash mistake64. Please follow, rate, and review. And now on with the show. We're joined today by Lee Houghton. He is a business improvement coach. His company is called Get Knowledge, and the web address is getknowledge.co.uk. So that gives you a little bit of a preview of where Lee is joining us from. So how are you today, Lee? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really excited by this opportunity to talk with you today, Mark. So thank you very much for this. Yeah, well, I'm really excited about the conversation. Um, Lee also has a podcast called Business Problems Solved, and I, I think um, I'll end up being a guest on that podcast, so I'll look forward to that as well, Lee. Can you tell us, uh, before we kind of get into the main um, topics of the day, tell us a little bit about the podcast real quick. Yeah, perfect. So um, it's called Business Problem Solved, as you said. I started about two years ago, and originally I wanted to start it to share the lessons that I believe that I've learned over the 15 years in change management and what it's actually turned into really is an opportunity to chat with people that I never thought I would be able to learn from and never thought that I would be able to engage in a conversation with so it's it's actually a journal of my life for two years but also it's an, it's an amazing place where I have some amazing conversations with people like yourself Mark um, where I learn and hopefully the um, the listeners learn as well how to do and overcome some of the challenges that they face. Well, great. I hope people will check that out again. It's business problems solved. And we've established the uh, the .co.uk part and, and we've heard a little from you. Where exactly in the UK are you based out of? Yeah, so um, I don't really have an accent, so it's probably quite difficult to tell. <laughs> um, so I'm from the north of England. Um, I'm at a town called Chorley in between Manchester and Liverpool. Um, that's uh, that's where I reside. Yeah, I'm Charlie, born and bred, and I don't think I'll ever move away from here. I, I love the north of England, um, but yeah, that's where I am. Yeah, no, it is a great accent, though. So, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, so, you know, we'll get right into things, Lee. Um, as we talk about here on the show, what would you say is your favorite mistake? I absolutely love this question um, because it's made me really reflect on. Um, how many mistakes I have made. And I think it's fair to say that I have made a lot of mistakes. So to, to pick my favorite one has been a challenge. Um, I think back to, to like 16 years ago 
when I fell into improvement, um, my manager said to me that uh, I'd be ideal for it. So I didn't choose improvement. Impro improvement chose me. Um, and I went to the pub. It was a Wednesday and I went to the pub that night. And uh, after I've got the acknowledgement letter to say I'm now going to be a lean coach in a, um, in a government uh, organization. And I um, told my friends that this is what I was going to be. And my best mate looked at me. And he said, oh, one of them. I said, what do you mean, one of them? He went, one of them who come into where people work and tell them how to do their job better. If you come into where I work and tell me how to do my job better, I would tell you to go away or words to that effect. Mm. Um, and so I never I never listened to that. I just I laughed that off. And then I think to like three, four weeks later, as I was learning, about um, lean and about improvement. And I attended a, um, a visual management training and it was about uh, performance boards, whiteboards. And I left that training and I was all engaged. I knew the team I was gonna be working with because I was supporting some of the more established team members. I knew the team I was working with and I went over to, to the nearest whiteboard on a different team and I wheeled it towards the team that I was working with. And I was, this is gonna change your life. This is going to be amazing. I can't believe that we've not seen this before. And I started to talk them through. And you're going to you're going to have your performance here, your people stuff here, quality here, problem solving here. It's going to it's going to be amazing. And then what stirred back at me was um, blank faces, um, some angry faces. And then I think back to what my best mate said to me, and I thought, "You fool! You've done exactly." You're, you're just exactly as, as he thought the perception of these change people were. So my favorite mistake is thinking that that I, after a little bit of training, knew what was better for people in a team to improve. That's what my favorite mistake is, because I really believe that over the last 15 years, I have been, I've, I'm trying to unlearn that, or I've been unlearning that mistake because that's not the way that it needs to be done. It's there's a different way and it's not all down to knowledge. Wow, and, and I mean, that really resonates with me because I've told uh, a similar story when people have asked me, what's, uh, what's my favorite mistake? This is something I shared uh, in, in a book called Practicing Lean, a book that I edited and, and contributed to. And I told a story about earlier in my career um, making a very similar mistake and so my question for you, though, Lee, you know, I, I, I look back in my situation and I think some of it was uh, a reflection of the culture I was working within. It wasn't really an organization that made extra efforts to get input from the frontline employees. There, there was sort of a culture of experts doing change to people. Um, so thinking about, you know, the, the, choice, the, the situation that you were in there how much of that do you think was your mistake or how much of that was the way you were taught to go about this in your Lean Six Sigma training? Yeah, so I think um, I have to take the bulk of the responsibility in this instance because it was it was my naivete. Um, it was it was like I'd seen a light. I'd, I'd worked in that in that business um, and I was promoted to an improvement person um, from from within. And so in seeing and, and going through this training, I had seen the light and I'd seen a better way to do it. Um, and the culture and the improvement program was very tool centric. And and it was like, oh, this is visual management. This is a whiteboard. This is what you need to do and go, go and do it. And 
So that was the cultural part of it. It was like done to tools thrown at. Um, and my naivety was pick up that pick up that spanner, pick up that tool, pick up that whiteboard, and just go and show them. And and and, and they would also see the light. Um, but I saw the light because I'd been removed from it. I wasn't in the work at that point in time, and I could see the opportunity that that could be by this type of tool. Um, and I, I just wrongly went and just told them exactly what they needed to do to, um, to to make them better. But they weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for it at all. And especially from somebody who was a, a peer a few weeks previous, thinking that in a few in a few weeks or a few weeks since that actually he knows better. What a, yeah, what a fool I was. What a fool I was. Yeah. And, and thinking back to your pub story, we, we can all we can all imagine the actual words that were probably <laughs> said over a pint. Uh, <laughs> we'll just leave that to everyone to, to fill in the blanks there so we don't have to put uh, an explicit <laughs> label on the podcast episode. Right. <laughs> yeah, completely. Completely. Uh, but I think that shows because that was a completely different organization as well. And and if I think back 15, 20 years and. If that's his perception in his organization of how improvement was delivered in that environment, and then you hear all of the horror stories, or, or not horror stories, just all of the stories for how improvement was is was delivered and, and still is delivered in, in some quarters, then it's no wonder that that, that choice language was used when they, it, they thought it was being done too. Because in his head, my best mate Chris, in his head, he was like, I've sat on this line. I understand this job more than anybody else understands this job. Nobody who doesn't do this job can tell me how I can do my job better. That's why I'm getting paid. So, yeah, it's uh, an only on reflection. Do I see it as a, a huge mistake now? Yeah. Well, and it's 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 a common mistake. Um, I've, you know, it's a story I've heard a lot. But in, in your case, Lee, were you able to recover with that team, you know, you, you got blank stares. I imagine then you didn't say, oh, right, never mind. I mean, you, you had to proceed. How, how did you go about that? Were you able to bring people along with the possibility of uh, this whiteboard? To a degree, yes. But that was only because I was working with more experienced people and also only because the culture of the organization was to do two. Um, and it was a set program of you will have this tool, then you will have this tool, and then you will have this tool, and then you will have this tool, and then you will have this tool, and, will have this tool, and, all, and then these tools all stick together. Um, so in terms of recovery, um, yes, it was all delivered, um, but yes, it, it was all done too. So it wasn't as I would, it was not as, as I would encourage improvement to be delivered now because um, it was a, a predefined solution that, thought everybody needed all of these things um, done in this way. So people didn't buy into it. And the, the biggest challenge in th throughout that whole program was to um, encourage people to use these things and to see the benefit rather and, and in the end, a lot of it was just um, wallpaper or was just furniture um, because the benefit wasn't there for people because they weren't brought into it in the in the right way to solve the right problems. Um, it was seen as a silver bullet, and it's not. It wasn't a silver bullet. So, um, as you've learned over time, um, I mean, it seems like there's 
you know, similar reflections that you've had and I've had from our experiences, you know, in, in what ways is it a mistake to think that knowledge alone affects change? That's something, you know, we, we could try to make a logical argument that yeah. something is going to be positive. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on this idea of having to move beyond um, knowledge or, or, or moving beyond tools? I, you know, that's similar, similar, similar idea, I think. Yeah, no, it, it completely is. And um, I think it depends on who has the knowledge. Because if it's the consultant or the coach that has the knowledge, then that's not right. The it's the it's the recipient, it's the person who's working on the process that really should have the knowledge. And and ultimately, when we think about get knowledge as the, as the company that myself and my business partner have got, um, that's the whole ethos of it. It's it's not for us to get knowledge; it's for you to get knowledge about what you do. Um, and we've we've gone through a, a program. Or, or we've gone through not a program. We've gone through like um, when we set up the business. We didn't want to call ourselves consultants. We wanted to call ourselves coaches because we wanted because it's about capability building and leaving the um, the the ownership of solution and mindset and thought and knowledge with the business and organisation. So I think to get somebody to do something new, um, yes, you've got to get them to think different. You've also get them to, got to get them to do different. Um, but if if it's you that's holding on to that knowledge, then people aren't thinking different. They're using the same thoughts and um, same thinking that's created the situation and environment, and that's not going to prompt any different um, actions. So, so yeah, so I think knowledge is an important part, but it's not your knowledge. It's the the team's knowledge and for them to learn them, for themselves by making mistakes. Um, and, and that's why I think this, the, the name of this podcast is a beautiful name for this podcast because one thing we don't do is we don't make mistakes acceptable. And what I think you've got here, making you're positively framing mistakes, um, which not very many people do. And that's the mindset thing as well. So if you can recognize that mistakes are a source of learning, then it makes it all possible. It makes you, you can improve. You can your, your, your knowledge is increasing through um, learning ultimately. So, so yeah, that's why I would say it's not all about knowledge. It's definitely not all about tools, but it's about challenging, asking questions to get people to think, to then do different themselves. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's a difference between being, being told knowledge, being the recipient of knowledge versus discovering and creating knowledge through action or experiments and some of those experiments then will lead to outcomes we didn't desire we may label that a mistake but maybe it's more important to label it um as learning so it, it yeah. seems like you you've learned i mean what are some of the approaches you take now to help inspire people to take action that creates their own learning so i think one of the fundamental things is um that my i, I fully believe that the difference between good and great is the level of emotion that you can evoke in somebody. And if somebody feels something strong enough, if somebody feels that emotion, then they are going to be able to then take an action um, and they'll be motivated to move from the current state to the future state, whatever that be, personally or professionally. And everybody's an individual. Um, 
So my first step on everything is, is getting everybody to recognize that change starts with the individual, change starts with them, whether it is the change facilitator or the person who is working on the process, everybody has a role to play. And I think if you get everybody to accept that change starts with them, and then you can get you can un understand what the current thinking is about it and what's important to them about the journey that you're about to embark on together. Um, it's like so. Um, I'm not. I'm in no way, shape, or form a neuro um, scientist, and I'd, I'm not um, big big on psych. I, I'm a fan of psychology, but as you can probably tell, I'm not very articulate. And um, and the brain is an amazing, amazing tool. It remembers things in doesn't remember things in words it remembers things in pictures and emotions and if i was to ask you mark what's your what's your oldest childhood memory um and if any if the listeners are listening and if they think about what the oldest childhood memory is then you would probably go back to a time when you were well how old, how old what, what's your oldest childhood memory mark i can remember i can picture some moments from the first house um, my parents had, we were there until I was four years old. So maybe some of these early memories are like when I was three. Yeah, amazing. I'm, I'm, gu I'm guessing a little bit, yeah. but definitely, definitely first four years. I, I can, I can even picture now. I can picture um, some scenes and moments uh, from uh, preschool, the year before kindergarten. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And this is, if I was to ask you, what did you have for your lunch three weeks ago on a Wednesday? <laughs> I don't know. You've not got a clue. <laughs> yeah. But that, no. it, that is how amazing the brain is. It remembers things in pictures and emotions. And and when you were telling, when you were recalling some of those stories, then you were smiling as you were saying. So there's you've got an emotion attached to those times at that point in time. So as change people, as facilitators of change, as leaders, if we can get people to feel things and um, positively about the journey that they are on, then they are going to remember the reason why they're doing it. They're going to have that motivation to move from, from the, the current state to the future state. And I think that is the most powerful thing. So the difference between good and great for me is your ability to get people to feel an emotion um, about what it is that you are wanting to do, whether that's a personal change, whether it's a professional change, but you've got to feel something. Um, and too many change programs start with why it's important for the business, why we're going to um, reduce money off the, um, yeah, we're going to save money off the bottom line, we're going to improve our productivity, which is all good and well, but why? What is it for each individual? I mean, what, what you said, you know, the reasons why this is good for the business, that is knowledge that is rational and people, my understanding of psychology you know, I think informs us that people are more complicated than that. Yep. We can't, I think it's unrealistic to tell people things like, well, you know, check your emotions at the door or this, this is just business. Well, business is made of people and yes. people have those emotions. So I think it's really smart of you to acknowledge that and, and, and try to build upon or tap into. Yeah. That you're, you're dead right. People um, are the most important part of leadership and of change. Uh, and every one of those people is uh, are different, um, and we have to recognise that what works for one person doesn't work for another person. Um, I always remember, actually, um, I was leading a um, change initiative in um, public sector in in the UK, and the solution required 
it was um, in an office space, in an office, and the solution required an individual to move desks from here to just a desk to over here, literally um, six feet away. And I thought it was the, the simplest thing for him to yeah, do. But like to, to him, it was the biggest change in the world. He had sat in that seat for five, six, seven, eight years. He had the pictures of his kids that he was sat next to Josie, who he'd, he'd sat next to for a few years. And to ask him to move from this seat to another seat was the biggest thing in the world. But to me, as the, as the person leading it, it was the smallest thing of the whole change program. And and if you were to ask me what my second favourite mistake is, it would have been telling Mike that he needed to move from there to there without really understanding what it meant for him. So, so yeah, it's all about people, Mark. Yeah, and, and that includes... Um leaders. So I just wanted to go back a little bit. You know, you said you talked earlier about change starts with individuals. Um, when you're working with organizations, I mean, that that applies to, to leaders or executives. Do you have an opportunity in your work to try to influence them in terms of um, moving away from some of these old habits of forcing change on people? Or I, I think of the title, one of the books written by somebody I don't you, you may be familiar with, you worked in the public sector, um, John Seddon, who wrote a book called Freedom from Command and Control. Yeah. And those those habits really run deep in people. What 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 have you been able to do? Uh, you know, as you've had your own lessons about not forcing change on people, what have you been able to work with leaders to try to move away from that old habit? Yeah, there's a whole a whole host of things. So the first um thing that springs to mind is um, I, I remember leading a, um, a change initiative across a shared service um, um, organizer or shared service part of a part of a business, and it was multi-location. And um, they had it was a, le- a typical it was a lean program that they were um, they, they were introducing, and I had the leadership team in front of me, and they had. Um, because uh, they were working with some um, different or different consultants, they brought in a framework that they needed to uh, they needed to hit, and there was five levels of this framework. So they'd all been bought into this achieving these five different levels of uh, of, of the framework, and they were everybody was aspiring to achieve a level five. Um, and when I was brought in, that was what they wanted me to help them them achieve to to get up there. So I, I sat them down, I sat the leadership team down, and and I said, congratulations, you've um, achieved level five it's now the year and i forward dated the year three four years i says congratulations you've achieved it what an amazing achievement over the last three years we have done this and what i want to do now is just really reflect on what we've done the journey we've been on and how we've achieved it so um i called the senior manager up and i I pre-prepared a certificate i handed them a certificate i asked somebody to take a picture of us as we shook hands and we and we we and then we sat down i said Let's now just consider, let's look outside of the door of the of this room now. And I said, um I said, what do we see? What do we see happening? Um, what's happening? What are people using? What and then what what's the feeling like on the floor where we are? How do people feel? And what are they doing? And what conversations can we hear? So I wanted to in- introduce all of the senses, but forward date the session into the into the future to go to get people to think three years on, they've achieved what they wanted to achieve. What what things are happening out in the world? What conversations are happening? What they're hearing, and how does it feel living in that world? I said, brilliant. Okay, and we captured all of these things on the on the um, on the on the wall, and I said, right, okay, it's a load of hard work that we've done. Load of hard work of what we've done. 
what are the things that we've done now if we think back over the three years? So then we plotted all of the things that have been achieved. And I said, um, I said, and what role have you played in this? What have you done? And what have you done different in the last three years than the, than the previous years to achieving it? Um, because mm-hmm. then they have to they have to then say that they've done something different because a lot of their decisions had created the place that they were in. And only by recognizing that they needed to um, actually do different, think different, do different, could they then start that journey. So that was that's one of the um, one of the sessions that I've, I've uh, facilitated a few times to try to get people just to recognize that if they really want to achieve what they want to achieve, then they've got to think differently and do differently themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and by then creating that what plan on the wall and and acknowledging what their own personal journeys were going to be was you could hold them to account they could be accountable for that as well um i think yeah. it's getting people to see stuff isn't it they've got to, they've got to visualize the, these things well i think you have to figure out how to create experiences where they can see and and there are different methods for that i mean one of the books in the lean literature by john shook um from the Lean Enterprise Institute, in a way, it seems like the book is about a tool referred to as value stream mapping. But the book is called Learning to See, yeah. which I think is very intentional. The book's not called Learn How to Value Stream Map. The point is, you know, experiences, yes. this shared mapping of um, you know, the way work is done that allows people to see instead of just thinking, oh, yeah, we, we know how things work here. Well, do you really? Sometimes you have to test that assumption. Yeah, I, w- I would love him to release a new book, um, Learning to See and Feel, because I think <laughs> if you attach yeah. feelings yeah. and emotions to it, then, you, then you're going to be work 10 times harder to get to it. Um, so because I think you've got, to, you, I think without that emotion, um, that for me is the big motivator. So yeah, learning to see and feel. If John is listening, um, then uh, that's what I, I think he should do next. That's a great idea. Maybe you can write that. Yeah, we, yeah, we could we could collaborate on it, Mark. If you answer, <laughs> maybe. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good idea because you know I I again I've learned sometimes I've learned these lessons the hard way um, about the need to um, engage people and, and realizing change is not just about the rational. Like I am an engineer. So if you look at different uh, personality profiles, I fit into the thinking, you know, logical, but I've, I've had to learn and, and working in healthcare, frankly, has helped me with this to also consider more about the feelings and the emotional connections that people have to work, because I, I think that really is um, critically important in, in other settings. I would have been more successful back in my days in manufacturing if I had a better grasp of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. Completely. No, it's good. Really so good. Those, those are some of my mistakes. So, um, Lee, uh, before we wrap up, I want to take a few minutes to talk about uh, a program that you have called Creating Confident Change Leaders. There's a, a separate website people can go to. It is www.creatingconfident.com. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, no, perfect. No, thank you, Mark. Yeah. So um, I genuinely believe that my last 16 years, 15, 16 years in change have been the best and the worst of my life because change can be the loneliest place in the world. If you are the sole voice pushing uphill, your peers don't want to 
change. Your leaders are only doing it because they're told to. Um, change can be a really lonely place. And what, when we were in lockdown um, in March last year, we're told I was, I had a lot of time to reflect on my career in change. And what I wanted to do was to create a program to try to um, get people to see that the, how they're feeling, the challenges that they've got and the challenges that they're seeing are the same as what a lot of other people are seeing within change. So I've created a group coaching program. There's two, there's an online program um, and there's a group coaching program. And the group coaching program is, is I think the, um, the, um, the ultimate solution for this because I bring together 10 like-minded people from different organizations through an eight-week program which is based on five modules the first one is we've spoke about quite a lot today actually about recognizing that change starts with you and we talk about that um, and get the change facilitator change leader to recognize that actually it's not about the team they're working with first it's about them and their approach and then it's about understanding yourself so getting a realization that your thoughts drive behavior um, and then we talk about storytelling and creating allies, building trust, and that's all in, in, in week three, or module three. Then it's about influencing others. So after we've got a real good grasp of ourselves and, and, and actually the world that we're in and, and what our role is and how we can change, then we talk about other people and how we can influence other people because we can't do that if we don't recognize what we're doing. And then the fifth and um, final module is act now, time's limited because too many people procrastinate and there's my biggest frustration mm -hmm. which if, if if you're going to run another podcast and call it biggest frustration i'll give you what mine is now um my <laughs> biggest ahead. frustration is that those people that say that they want to get better but they wait on they wait till monday the start of a month yeah. the start of a year um before they'll actually start to do something so what i look to try to do in the final thing is well, we've had a lovely eight weeks together what can you do now and what do you need to do to have the motivation to move forward in terms of forming habits and, um, and and making it reality rather than waiting so yeah so that's that's the program but ultimately it's to bring together change professionals to normalize the challenges that they've got because it can be lonely and i don't want people to feel the way that i felt because that was horrible yeah yeah well it's Good. I mean, to learn from those situations, uh, you reflected on what your friend said in the pub. You reflected on the blank stares. And, and I recognize it's either the blank stares or it's the crossed arms. Yeah. It's the staring at their shoes, you know, that body language of, of people who aren't engaged and people who need um, to be engaged. So I'm, I'm glad that you've learned from that, Lee, as um and, and that you've shared your stories and reflections uh, with us here today. So um, I do want to also mention um, that on that creatingconfident.com website, there's a free impact guide that Lee is, Lee is offering. You can go to creatingconfident.com slash impact if you want to um, get that. And, and again, uh, our guest has been Lee Houghton. His company is Get Knowledge. That's Get Knowledge. Dot co dot uk and and i always i i smile i have positive memories like the the times when i've been in england and you know you hear uh you hear ads and you hear the web address and 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 to hear the dot co dot uk oh, that sounds for some reason that sounds a lot cooler than dot com yeah <laughs> now honestly though mark thanks so much for the opportunity to chat with you today it's been an absolute pleasure and, and to share some of those stories with you yeah well thank you and thank you for prompting not just memories of uh, 
times when I've had the chance to be to England. But boy, you got me going back into uh, early, early days of my childhood. So um, <laughs> thank you for uh, for prompting that. And thankfully, it did come up with a smile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Lee, thank you so much. Um, talk to you again soon sometime. Cheers, Mark. Thanks again to Lee for being such a great guest. To learn more about him and his podcast and more, you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake64. In fact, you can find um, the episode also released today where Lee interviews me on his podcast. I hope you'll check it out. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.